The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Our scripture reading today is from Mark 10, 13-16. And they were bringing children to Him that He might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, He was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. Thanks, Kathleen. So it's um, amazing irony that I'm actually preaching this passage on this day, uh, Megan is enjoying, I'm so glad she's been able to like, actually have a little time away and went to the beach with friend and um, be at Chile, but have a little time away. And I'm with my two boys this whole weekend. And uh, so for me to be teaching on um, <laughs> believing uh, like a child and coming to the kingdom, it's really been like, oh, okay, God, I see what you're doing here. Um, you know, there's a, even a... Um, another irony of reading an article some time ago in the Atlantic that talked about how um, parents increasingly lose empathy when having children, Um, (laughs) which is a sad thing. But it is interesting, you read a passage like this, and and it's kind of an odd duck. Um, What does Jesus mean? Uh, There was actually a um, uh, I listen every now and then to This American Life, and there was one that talked about returning to childhood and about people who really wanted to get back to uh, figure out who they were um, and kind of get back to places and, and nostalgic moments. And what was interesting listening to it is those moments that people remember, and you may know these moments, you remember as an adult or maybe someone who's even a kid in this room, maybe a little older, and you look back and you think, man, and then you start talking about that moment or looking back at it and it's totally different from what you remember and how it struck you as a little child. Um, And uh, it's interesting listening to those stories over and over. And, and, And even thinking about when I took a trip with my dad, who's from East Texas, he grew up in the oil fields of East Texas. And it's as, you know, small as you think. And I remember just driving uh, all back to, and he, he was uh, born in Troop, Texas, which I don't even know if you know where that is. Uh, went to Gaston High School. All these, you know, names. It's like, okay, well, I don't know anything like that. Driving up this dirt road and getting out of the car and us walking down this path a little further and looking left and right and him saying, yep, this is, this is where so-and-so's house was and this is, a- oh, and there's my house. And us walking up this just grass field with, and you, as I started moving up, you could see the little outlines on the ground of kind of where walls used to be. And because they grew up, and my dad's an architect, and so I have a little bit of this mind. I'm, I'm terrible at math, but I like, you know, engineering. That's not a good combo. So that's why I don't build anything. Um, but I, I walked up, and I remember seeing and him describing the house to me, and then he showed me that the home was made out of sucker rods. Sucker rods were used in the oil fields to draw the oil out, and so it made sense instead of normal rebarb to put sucker rods into the walls to provide support. So it's fascinating. I'm walking up. I'm seeing these, these walls literally at my feet 
with this little sucker rod sticking out of them and him just describing the moments to me and hearing him try and replay what it was like and then stepping through this little outline into where his room was and looking around thinking, so this is what he looked at when he was little looking through the windows, thinking of his eyes. And it's interesting, you hear a passage like this, and it talks about, you know, coming in the kingdom like a child. This is actually not a new thing in this passage. This is even in chapter Mark chapter 9, Matthew, Luke, all of the gospel accounts which are written of the accounts of Jesus. If you're not unfamiliar with the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they draw out this idea of entering into the kingdom of heaven like a child. It's such an odd thing to take up. But if you think about who we are, one of the the, the biggest songs that was put out uh, not too long ago, Miranda Lambert uh, sang this song. Uh, One of our own wrote this song, um, The House That Built Me. There's a line in that song. We actually just got to hear it the other night uh, at our uh, event uh, next door on Thursday. But just thinking about the song, I thought, she says, I thought if I might touch this place or feel it, it, something would come back to her. If I, if I touched it, I, would, I might find myself, right? There's something about we want to reclaim, and that was the point of this, even this, uh, this American life, something to reclaim, something to touch our childhood that, that's nostalgic. All of us have the moment where we think, this is such a pinnacle moment for me. And we want to get back to it. We want to touch it. We want to, we want to capture that. But what, what does it want to give us to make us remind ourselves who we really are? So here's what's happening in this passage. It's interesting. Jesus is actually rebuking and correcting the disciples. It's not that they just like hate kids. (laughs) It comes across as like they're just mean to children. But they're not. The disciples are saying, no, no, no. Don't bother Jesus with this kind of thing. We have other things to talk about in the kingdom. And Jesus says, no, no, no. If you really want to understand what the kingdom is about... If you really want to understand what it means for me to be in your life, if you understand how God has made this world, you need to learn what it means to be a child, to enter into it. And what he was really doing was enormous. It was a lot bigger than just even this short couple of verses. It was a radical shift of hospitality, of cultural understanding, because he was saying, if you really, if you really want to be somebody in the kingdom, right before this in chapter 9, the, the, this was talked about who's the greatest in the kingdom. The disciples were arguing about who's the greatest, who's going to sit with them. And Jesus says this to him. He said, if anyone wants to be first, he must be last and of all servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them and taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. He's saying this. He's saying if you really want to understand, and, and I used to say this when, when I, I was asked to speak like at, at uh, Alpine Camp for Boys or stuff like that, where they'd say, you got to grow up and t- your, your, your job is to grow up and be men. Your job is to teach and grow up to be men, strong men and women. Actually, you know what he's saying? He's saying you need to grow up and be a child. He's saying we need to learn what it means to be a child. Let's unpack that because it's kind of a strange thing. What does it mean to be a child? It means these three things. It means that Jesus changes our status. He changes our status, our approach to him in this world, and our vision for everything. He changes our status, our approach, and our vision. 
Listen to what he does. So why are children looked on with disdain in this? Well, this passage is really drawing out the idea of what the cultural view of children was. There was actually quite a bit of um, difficulty and even infanticide that was going on, infanticide that was going on. Children were being discarded. Many times they were seen as only just useful. In the Greco-Roman world, uh, oftentimes even the, the, the word child was synonymous with the word slave. <laughs> and so often children were seen as not adults. They were only needed to be useful. Children had to find their place in the world by making themselves useful. In fact, people had many children in order to run businesses, in order, in order to farm their communities. The reason children were, were so highly valued wasn't because they were so cute and sweet. That came in more in the 19th century of our, our uh, romanticism of ideas of, of what children were like. This, they were useful. You gotta have a lot of kids, you gotta run the farm, you gotta have a military, you gotta protect things, you gotta keep things going. That's how children were viewed. But Jesus is trying to correct them and say, look, look, you think you're the greatest. Notice in chapter nine, even before this, chapter 10, he, the, the argument is over and over, who's the greatest? And they're wondering their status. The disciples are always asking their status with Jesus. Have you noticed this? Like they're always thinking, hey, we're on the best political campaign we could be on. We, have the, we got the guy who's gonna win it all. We're with him. And then Jesus always throws this little curveball, and especially this one, because they think, hey, we have the right guy. That means our status is gonna be really high when he ushers in the kingdom. And then Jesus all of a sudden turns it on his head and says, you really wanna be in the kingdom? You have to be the lowest of low. Now, we think Jesus may be holding uh, adolescence of sorts. Actually, what he, who he's holding, the children are infants. They're, they're little bitty children that are ultra needy. In fact, it's not just that they could be useful. They're, they're anything but. They're a time suck to all of them. And that's what the disciples thought. They thought, don't bring the children. They take away from what we're supposed to do in the kingdom. Jesus says, no, 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 no. You want to know what the kingdom's about? It means your status is like one of these children. Low, humbled. <clears throat> it was interesting. This, this has been so flipped on its head, this understanding of what does it mean to enter into the kingdom of heaven like a child? I, even in history and time, these passages have been miscued. Some people think, oh, we need to be willy-nilly or there needs to be kind of an immaturity to it or, or such an innocence that we don't really grasp things. It's not what Jesus is getting at. Even in the Crusades, such a dark time period in, in, in Christianity, even the Crusades, they would actually take hordes of children, form armies. This is a, a true historical event. They made armies of children, sent them into battle without adults, thinking that because they're children, they're gonna win everything. And, and, and hundreds of thousands of children were slaughtered in the Crusades because of misunderstanding of what the, Jesus is talking about here. It, it's not this kind of, they can take up anything. It's, it's what does it mean? It means lowliness. And it's not just a worship of youth. Uh, I read this article, it was so funny, about a guy, listen to this, a guy who <clears throat> is, is petitioning a court to change, 
maybe this is what we need to do. Change his legal age by 20 years. And, and here's what he said about it. He said, well, this is a quote, by the way. He said, I, I feel two decades younger and all my doctors tell me I look like I should be this age. He even goes on to say, I mean, imagine it. If I get my age changed from, from 69 to 49, think of how many houses I can buy. He even says, I can even go on Tinder and get more people talking to me. This passage is not talking about worship. We worship youth in our culture. This is not a worship of youth passage. This passage is a change of status. This is actually the opposite of that. It's actually we long for people to look at us and give us the yes, the, you know, wanting to have everybody think of us in such a great light. This is actually saying, if you really want to know what this is all about, what the kingdom of God is about, it's the lowliest of low. He changes the status of being the last to the first. This is where the kingdom of God just flips you on your head. And I'll tell you, it's so hard for us to grasp it because we think we, we deserve our prominent place in the kingdom. This is, we're not different from the disciples. We have the same idea that, hey, I've put in my time. I, I, I do godly things. Like I'm in the right place. I'm, I'm in, I have integrity in my job. I'm taking care. Of, but, you know, Jesus is saying it's not about that. It's about that. We have to understand humility. It's the least to the greatest, not the greatest to the least. Here's the question to you and to me. How do you think you inherit the kingdom of God? Do you think inheriting the kingdom of God is by being cozy up to Jesus or maybe having a prominent place? Or is it simply knowing that we don't deserve to be in it? And it's a lowly status. And here's what's beautiful. Jesus changes their status. So, so instead of trying to grasp for a status, Jesus gives them the status. Instead of us trying to make a status for ourselves, instead of trying to belong, he brings in. And that flips the disciples over. Wait, we have to be low? We have to be humble? That's how you enter this kingdom? That's what this is about. And sometimes for us, that's really, really, really difficult. Because especially in our culture, in our time, we want to be people that have the status so we can show everyone. This is saying the opposite. If you want to be in this kingdom, you have to know who gives the status, how we belong. Such a big deal. It's knowing that, you know what? The people that follow Jesus are actually the least valued sometimes. And yet, in the world, but, but most valued to him. It means they may be the least in some people's eyes, but the most valuable. Think about that reversal. That's what you get in him. And it, because it changes our status, he changes our approach to him. He changes our approach. And he says, let the children 
Come to me, do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. How do we receive it? <clears throat> First we receive it because he gives us this, this status to receive. He gives us the belonging into it. But secondly, because of that, it changes our approach to say instead of I, I am independent and mature and deserve it, we're dependent and messy. Look, as we said a minute ago, children were looked upon as needful for agriculture, for wartime, useful. The the more you, and I would say this in our culture, the more you find yourself independent, the more mature, the more you feel like, yeah, I can own this. Don't we put that on our kids? Don't we put that on whether we're teachers? We put it on our our children. We put it in, in those ways. We say, you need to grow up. But Jesus isn't saying to be immature. He's saying it's different. Maturity is actually dependence. It's actually coming messy. There's a book called Hurt, which is a really interesting book. It was written some time ago. Chap Clark wrote this book. And he talked about students in today's culture. It's a book that kind of moves through adolescence to describe what, what kind of adolescence do, are we dealing with and Why? And he says that students in our age today, he, say, he talks about the hurry, and listen to this, the hurried child and the culture of abandonment. And he says, essentially, so many students have suppressed their needs for security and protection to accommodate their parents and the society's expectations that they be independent and autonomous. I think that is fascinating. How much do we encourage one another to hurry up and grow up. Because to us, to be an adult means you need to take this up. You need to be independent. You need to gird up now. When we're losing the idea of what does it mean to be dependent? It doesn't mean need, we, we, we associate needy with dependence. As if it's like, oh, I need everything. No, that's not what Jesus is getting at. Jesus is getting at the fact that we need to be dependent on one another, that we come messy. Imagine, think about this, and I even noticed this again this weekend. When my boys, even my eight-year-old, and I think about this especially with my three-year-old, are just totally covered with things after eating, they don't really think about it. They're just like, yeah, that was great. Push away from the table, like food everywhere, they have stuff on their face. Like, we're constantly, what, looking, oh my gosh, I, you know, what do I have on my face? Somebody didn't tell us we have something in our teeth. We're freaking out. You know, like, it, there, there's this, they're, they're not frozen by that, that self-promotion. They, they just kind of allow themselves to come messy and be. Even the, the things they say. They ask things or talk about things in ways that are a little bit unhindered. And we are really quick to say, ooh, don't say that, don't, mm, don't do that. I remember uh, just talking about certain words that are important and not important. And I remember thinking, if I, if I jump on this, after one of my sons said a word that's like, no, oh, we don't use that word, you know. What, what if I was like, don't you, oh, where'd you hear, ooh, you heard this word? I mean, I was coaching a, a, a flag football team and one, one of our boys on the team said a word that he shouldn't be saying. 
And the reaction was so, it was interesting for the parents. I was like, did he, did he say what, I think he just said, like, I think he just said the word that you don't want him to say after he didn't do well. <clears throat> and the reaction can be so harsh and so over the top. And what I've noticed is when my boys say something that they shouldn't say, if I, if I tone it, if I catch myself say, huh, yeah, you, let's talk about that word. That might not be a word that you, you want to use. They're like, oh, okay. Well, what happens? It diffuses the power of the word, but it gives them the growth in it. They know they're dependent instead of like being slapped down. You just, you need to grow up. You do not use that word in this context. Sometimes we think God approaches us that way. And he slaps us when we do something wrong. What God is doing, what Jesus is doing is welcome. The met, he is well, think about this. This passage, the disciples are rebuking him because they're saying, you're bringing mess into a perfectly fine situation. We are going to take Israel again. We are gonna take down Rome. We're gonna have what we need. And, and Jesus is saying, no, no, no. Bring the mess. Bring the dependence. If we think the kingdom of God is not about mess, this is why people, can I just say this to us, and you may be here this morning and, and maybe coming back through the doors of the church, or maybe you've come here a few times and you appreciate it, I want you to hear this as well. This is why people think when they come to church they cannot be messy. That we have to have it all together. Where in the world are we getting that? The church is actually to display the kingdom of God. Did you notice this? Jesus is correcting the disciples so that they can display and show that the, real, the kingdom of God itself is dependent and messy. It's not about this independence and status. How restful is it for you to come to church? How restful is it for you to come before Jesus with everything on you? Because especially, we can't just wipe it off. That's why we do confession every week, because we can't. We need him to clean us. We need him to change us. We live in a world of pretense. Instead of pretending, instead of growing in Christ. C.S. Lewis, as he always does, says it beautifully about what it means for us to actually try on Jesus. He said there are two kinds of pretending. There's the bad kind where pretense is there instead of the real thing. That is where we're trying to show our status and prove ourselves. But then there's also a good kind where pretense leads up to the real thing. That's why children's games are so important. They're always pretending to be grown-ups, playing soldiers, playing shop, but all the time they're hardening their muscles and sharpening their wits so that the pretense of being grown-ups helps them to grow up in earnest. One of my favorite things is to watch both of our children, especially my three-year-old still does it now, what we call magic time. Magic time is when they just get lost in their world and they're playing with little guys or whatever they're doing in, the, in our bonus room and I can just hear them. And I never want to go in there because they're really engaged, you know, and they're working out whether a conversation we just had in the moment 
or something they heard that day, but it's magic. They're just in it. And they're learning and they're growing and they're pretending and they're learning relationship. Look, we have got to come before Jesus knowing that we need him to show us what it's really like to grow up like a child. We will not learn dependence unless we go to Christ to show us what it's like. There's no reason to to be a Christian unless you're willing to say the cross is real, his life is real. It wasn't just on the cross that he died for our sin. Do you realize in his life he took on the mess? That's why he lived, died, and rose again. He had to live in order to engage your mess and mine. We've got to be realistic about the mess. We're children dependent and needy on him. The more we show our willingness to be dependent and messy, the more it's going to be more refreshing for everyone else. Imagine, think about not just the children here, think about the other people in the, all of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, who come to Jesus with a status. Not just little kids. We can romanticize this, make, oh, little children. But there are other people who come to Jesus who have all sorts of major issues. Whether it's physically, sexually, socially, whatever it is, they come to him. Why are they so comfortable? Because Jesus invites mess. Because he says he is a God who comes to step into it. Y'all, you may have heard something like this before. Maybe it's something that you understand and say, yes, yes, yes. But if you're, if you're here kind of doing it, don't skip over that. There's nothing that's going to meet you more in the places where you say, ah, I don't need a savior. I think I hit the mark on this one. I'm okay. That's what the disciples were doing. That's where we need to be corrected. That's where we need a savior most. We need to be dependent and messy. And Jesus does this. He changes their status, their approach, but also their vision. Because, hey, this is a come-as-you-are party, but it's not a stay-as-you-are party. It is a come-as-you-are party, but Jesus never lets them stay as they are. This is why the disciples follow. You can come follow me, but here's where you're going to change. Here's how you need to learn. Because the disciples thought they had the understanding of the kingdom down, and they didn't at all. It means they need to see themselves and everything else through the lens of Jesus' eyes. They need to understand, we need to take on his view of us and the world. It needs to make sense through him. Isn't it amazing when you take on the vision of a little kid? If you just stop for a minute and watch a little child, I would encourage all of you to at least ask Jordan to help next door to do something with the kids. So you can just kind of watch why a, a, a crayon takes on a form of something so amazing to a child. And to us, it's like, it's broken again. It's getting crumbled. Can we sweep it up? Why smallest thing, why a box of a toy is often so much more exciting and enjoyable than actually the toy itself? Have we ever thought about why that is? 
Because there's something so wonderful, wondrous about this world that we're in that Jesus changes us, not only our status and approach, but our vision to understand what does it look like through the eyes of the child? What does it mean for us to live in wonder that we have a God who makes this world for us to enjoy and to enjoy him? Uh, I don't know if you've heard of the story of uh, James Barry, who is a playwright. He's actually the author and writer of Peter Pan. Uh, there's a movie a- a- patterned after this. You can read about it or uh, watch it called Finding Neverland. <clears throat> Great, incredible uh, story. There's a moment in there in uh, London in 1904 when Barry is um, really wanting to open up his play, but because most of the plays were really adult-centric uh, he really had a heart for this idea of a boy that never grew up. But no one would want to see that. Who wants to go see a boy who never, what, is, what does that have to do with anything? Well, Barry said, okay, I'm going I'm to launch forward with it. I'm going to write it away. I had a hard time getting funds for it. Finally got it going in the, <clears throat> in the Duke York Theater. And as the doors open and all of these well-to-do, and most of the plays at that time, tuxedos, beautifully dressed women and men coming, sitting down. And the play's literally about to begin. The, the, the music's slowing. The curtain's about to open. And you notice there's just seats open throughout. It looks like he just didn't sell out. And then another moment stops before the play starts and the doors fly open. And all of a sudden, all these children run through the doors. Incredible. All these kids from different orphanages around the city of London are brought in and they sit down and they're just sitting and watching the stage. And the adults in their tuxedos and their, and their beautiful dresses are just looking at them like, what is going on here and why are they here? And the curtain goes up and all the kids are watching the stage and all the adults are just watching these kids. Filthy. Can't believe that they're even in the theater. Who would let them in? And as the play goes on, they start watching the kids laughing in their attention to the stage and this beautiful, whatever is going on on the stage. And they keep looking and then being drawn to the stage. And by the end of the play, everybody's facing forward. And not only are the kids on the edge of the seat, the, the adults are leaning forward. And it was genius by James Barry. Why? Because they would not understand the beauty and the wonder of what was going on in the full story had they not looked to the children and through the eyes of them, dependent, dirty, needy, helpless, looking, wonder, and engagement, what is going on? Y'all, when we come to this table, <clears throat> this is telling us the story. This is telling us the story of how absolutely loved you are. This is not a complex message, but because it's so simple, we miss it. The message is this, the story is here, the play has been written. This is Jesus' body and blood broken and given for you. Given and shed for you and your sins. How is it that we miss so easily as adults to claim our status, to fight to belong, for everybody to see us in a certain light and including God? And yet all we need to do is look our eyes back to the true story that you are more filthy and sinful than you ever would have known. And yet you are more loved and cherished than you ever dared dream.
That's the gospel. Are we too adult to, to miss the fact that the gospel is simple? The gospel, the words, good news is good news for you. It's great news for a child who cannot feed themselves. Think about, we are the only creature, the only creature in all of creation that when we are born, we are so helpless, we cannot be left on our own. You realize God made us that way. We have to have care. We have to have dependence because God has made us for that. And he has not stopped in supplying. He has not left us without. He has given us his own son. When I was born, I was born with my foot actually turned out completely. My left foot. Uh, Definitely made my dad kind of go, whoa. And I remember this story, talking about the story at the beginning of this, when you remember things you do. I remember telling this story before. I was like, I had braces put on my feet. And my mom was like, I finished that story one time. My mom was like, no, you didn't. (laughs) You know what actually happened? When I was born, my foot was turned out. And my grandmother, who's gone now to be with the Lord, would sit with me and rub her thumb into my foot. Because when you're young, your, your bones are much more malleable. And eventually over time, my foot with that, with her rubbing and wearing little just shoes, my foot moved back into place. And it's one of the most beautiful things when my grandmother passed away and I was able to speak at her funeral to remember, she was teaching me the gospel when I couldn't even speak. What we need is the Lord to rub and nourish our souls with the truth to conform us back to who we really are. Come to this table not with your feet perfect, with your whole life set out and let him nourish you. Come dependent, needy. Come to him. Because you need him in this. Let's stand together.